0: Welcome. Hey, if you have your Bibles, we're going to start out today in Mark chapter 8. And if you want to turn to the second passage, we're also going to be in Matthew 28. Put your finger in that one. Um, if you're just joining us, uh, if you weren't here last week, we started a brand new series called Follow Me, where we, talk, where we are talking about the difference between Between a believer in Jesus and a disciple of Jesus, Jesus certainly makes a distinction between the two. And we see that here in uh, Mark chapter 8. But before we read it, let's pray. Father, we welcome you into this room, into this moment. And I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would speak through this message today, reminded of. Isaiah 50, verse 4 says, The Sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. And I pray that these words, the message, brings a substance that sustains our faith, that speaks to our hearts, Lord. I pray, Lord, that I would be empowered by your Holy Spirit and that our hearts would hear what you want to say. It's one message, but it speaks to every one of us in a different way because that's how miraculous you are and so we welcome you into the room and we ask you to speak and to minister challenge us where we need to be challenged correct us where we need to uh, be corrected father and strengthen us where we need to be strengthened we need the power of the holy spirit so we welcome you in the room today and ask you to fill us up i know we can ask this because jesus you said to the woman at the well if you knew who was here you'd ask and i'd give you rivers of living water so we just ask for you to come into in this space today in Jesus' name, amen. Mark chapter 8, this is our, our main text for this series, starting in verse 34. Then he, speaking of Jesus, he called to the crowd to him along with his disciples. He's making a distinction between the crowds who are intrigued by him and the disciples who actually follow him, but he invites the crowd into being a disciple. He called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple, this is the invitation, here's the cost, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Jesus is making a distinction between the crowd and true disciples. We talked about this last week. The crowd certainly believes in Jesus. They, they love that he's doing miracles for them. They, they love that he's, you know, showed up into their village speaking in their synagogues um, but the crowd lives to please themselves, but a disciple is a follower of Jesus who lives to please God. There's a difference from just believing in God and actually following Him. One of the most sobering verses in Scripture to me is where Jesus said, "In the day that we stand before our Creator, many, He said, will say to Him, Didn't I heal the sick? Didn't I raise the dead? Didn't I? And they give all of the good Christian works that... We're called to do, certainly. And he says, depart from me, I never knew you. So it's not the doing, it's actually the knowing. And this is what we talked about last week. Discipleship doesn't mean program. Discipleship doesn't mean knowledge of scripture. Discipleship means, what we talked about last week, is being an apprentice, being around him, and it's shaping our lives. Here is our working definition. We're going to show this every week because we want this to get into us. We want to move from the place of being in the crowd and just being a believer to actually becoming a follower and a disciple, an apprentice of the Jesus way. So a disciple is someone who, it's coming up on the screen, who who fully believes in. So there's this. That's the starting point. But they also follow him and is transformed by him. If you are truly a disciple of Jesus, we should move from an intellectual acknowledgement that He is Savior to the place where it's actually changing our lives. Because there's power in the gospel. This is not just just some a myth or some legend, or even if you uh, even if you believe maybe he, Jesus was just a good man and he, you know, he came upon the earth and he taught us some good principles, so I believe in his teachings, but I, I don't necessarily believe I have to follow him. No, if we're a follower of Jesus, there's real power in the gospel. There's real power in the message, and it transforms our life. So a disciple is someone who follows or fully believes in, follows him, and is actually at some point it transforms your life. It's not an empty message. It's a message that changes and transforms us. So last week, we talked about uh, what it's that discipleship begins with encountering Jesus. We talked about how that it's strengthened and continues within community, and that at some point, we should be replicating our faith. We will talk more about that next week. But those are some of the marks of discipleship. But one, we we do come to the point where we recognize we need a Savior and we repent. We turn to Him and then our lives start becoming transformed. That continues within community and it's replicated through sharing our faith with other people. So today, uh, I want to continue to talk about different marks of discipleship. But before I do, I want to remind everybody that on January 29th, that we are having, we are releasing and launching a discipleship culture, movement. I don't want to say program, because it's not a program and it's not something we will actually oversee. It's something we want to give tools for. It's why we're doing this series. We want to give you tools. How do I disciple somebody? How do I get discipled? We will give deep nuts and bolts Sunday night on January 29th. We would love for you to be a part of that. But the reason why we're doing it, is I am convinced the American church or the Western church, and when I say Western, I mean Europe, certainly North America, um, Australia, the Western culture has no longer at a place where we're actually following Jesus. I'm not saying this is, you know, not a blanket statement, but as a whole, we are a culture that's become deeply secular. We are consumeristic. We, we, we just buy things and accumulate things. And we really don't know what it means to follow Jesus. We don't know what it means to suffer for Jesus. And we don't know what it means to actually be a disciple. We're okay with believing. But I would, if I had to put money on it, I would say most of the American church is in the crowd, not a disciple. I don't want that to be true for Radiant Church. I want us to be a people who, who our faith is deep in. And I've spent a minimum of two years praying through, like, Lord, I don't know how to do this because our culture, the Western culture, has limited it to come to a classroom and let us tell you about Jesus. But as I begin to research what discipleship means, I see it playing out in China and the underground church. I see it playing out in Iran and in, in Pakistan and in the Middle East where, where discipleship is really happening. And they don't have a building. But they have church, they have a community, and they're growing other people. I shared last week about our friend from Iran. I don't know if it was this service, but a pastor I met from Iran a couple years ago, I think back in 2018, and he had said eight out of eight out of ten Muslims in Iran will give their heart to Jesus if if they're told about him. And I'll never forget his statement. He said, "Islam is dead. It is nothing but a national identity." It's not really a religion they're living out. They identify as it, but the practicing is very low. And I think this is true for America. We have a lot of people who identify as Christians, but the living is really low. The invitation's high, a lot in the crowd, but the impact's low. But you see in the in these uh, other nations where there's hostility towards faith, there may even be killed or beheaded because of their they're following Jesus. They actually own it, they live it, and they are on fire for God. And there is massive revival. And I want revival for us. And so as I was praying, I was like, this is how you do it. And so they simply would get together in small groups of people and they would challenge one another. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you? And and this pastor from Iran, this dude was bold. He I remember him saying he said, We if you are in our group, they don't tell you right away it's Jesus. Because they got to know you first because if they turn you in, you will be killed. Because there's a law in Iran, you can't can't convert faith. A non-conversion law. There there is no freedom of religion. We are Islam here. That's what they would say in Iran. So if you convert, you get turned in. You could lose your job. You could lose your home. You could be put in prison or at worst beheaded because you're a follower of Jesus. So they won't tell you right away it's Jesus until they get to know you and you're asking so there's this phrase in iran we have unbelievers leading unbelievers to the lord because you have a true believer in the group who is a true disciple and he's discipling these muslims in the jesus way of living and what is happening is they're coming to faith and they don't know it's jesus yet but they're telling their other muslim friends and and they're coming to this group and they're leading other muslims who don't believe yet they have unbelievers leading unbelievers to jesus This is power. This is what discipleship looks like. And it's it's the mark of it. And so as I begin to research, I "I want this for our church, but I'm not sure the Western church understands it. Because we think, well, go to Alpha class. And this is certainly part of the process. Classroom, we, we must learn. We must grow in faith. We must know some theology. There are some truths we must embrace as followers of Jesus. So don't mishear me, but I wonder if we really know. That's why last week we just set it up. It starts with giving your life to him. It's strengthened within community. So go to church, get in a community group. You're going, to grow, you're going to grow spiritually inside a community. And then at some point, we should have a passion to lead other people to Jesus. So today I want to continue. To, we're going to talk about that next week. But today I want to talk about other marks of discipleship, what marks us as followers of Jesus. And I don't mean just that we believe. I mean that we're a disciple who fully believes, follows, and is transformed by Jesus. His power is so great, he can transform our life. Matthew 28, which is known as the Great Commission, gives us three marks. of There's more than three, but I only have time for three today. Verse 16, Matthew 28 says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, To the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. So he's risen from the dead. Uh, Galilee was about 70 some miles from Judea, which is, you know, in Jerusalem, in, in the region of Judea, Jesus was crucified, rose again. And so he tells his disciples, Go back to our home base, which was north of Jerusalem, about 70 miles. So they they take the journey. I don't know how long that takes, but I imagine a few days to go 70 miles on foot. They meet Jesus on this mountain because he told them, hey, meet me there in a few days, and so they do. And it says this, before he gives the great commission, which most Christians know about, go and make disciples, here's what we see on this mountain. When they saw him, they worshipped him. It is out of the context of worship that discipleship starts. And this is what sets Christianity apart from the other two monotheistic religions. There's only three monotheistic religions, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. But Christians believe Jesus is the Son of God, part of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one being within three people. And he is worshipped. And Jews did not worship a man. So, and these 11 disciples were all Jewish descendants. They were all descendants of Israel. They would have never bowed down to a man. This would have been heresy. This would have been breaking the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not worship any other God. So they were acknowledging Jesus was God, God among us. Emmanuel, his name literally meant that, that God is among us. And they worship Jesus, but some doubted. Now, the word worship in Greek means to fall down, to worship, to kiss, to adore, and to do reverence. So here's the first mark. About being a disciple, that I want to talk about. It it, it is worship. And I want to talk about this. So, worship uh, should fuel our other uh, spiritual disciplines. This is the first mark of discipleship. And it has to start here before theology, it has to start here before. All the do's. Like, what do we do as followers? Well, we go to church, we do that. We read our Bible, we, we do that. However, if you start there, you miss the bigger picture because it actually starts with beholding, adoring, um, enjoying, and delighting in God, worshiping Him. Worshiping Jesus should fuel all the other spiritual disciplines. It doesn't start with obedience. It doesn't start with theology. It doesn't start with the program. It starts with knowing him. And it fuels all of the other spiritual disciplines. Delighting in God. You know, scriptures show us that there's more scriptures talking about delighting in the Lord than anything else. Like all Old Testament, New Testament, it talks about more of delighting in God. And you don't see this. As followers of Jesus, we think, what do we got to do? What do I got to know? And we miss that it's actually beholding God, beholding his glory and who he is, being fascinated with Jesus to the point that we're worshiping him. And here's why this is important. Because if it doesn't start here, you will get bored with the others. Some of you feel this in church today. This is boring. You're here. You think, well, it's what Christians do. We go to church. Or maybe some friend invited you, and you're bored with church. And I, and I wonder if you don't have any fascination with Jesus. So, therefore, the spiritual discipline of church is boring to you. It will become boring, and all the spiritual disciplines will be empty habits if we are not fascinated, delighting in God, and enjoying his presence and who he is. If you've been around Radiant, you know that I uh, ever since I was a little boy, I've always wanted to go into music. I, I, I had an ambition as a young man, in, even into my 20s, that I would go into the music industry. I had plans when I got married to move to Nashville, Tennessee. And what musicians do to learn their craft is they must resonate with some other musician. Most musicians, none that I know of, ever like picks up an instrument without hearing another musician first. They become fascinated with their musical hero and they start emulating the hero right so i'm gonna date myself i'm a product of the 70s i felt like i was born too late i felt like i should have been born in the 1950s got an old soul i love old cars i love old shoes i was so happy when i started to see the hipsters start rolling up their pant legs like the 1950s, I'm like, it's back and it's in my generation now. But I grew up in the I grew up in the 70s and 80s, but I felt like I should grow up in the 50s because I loved Elvis Presley. Does anyone know who Elvis is? He is the king of rock and roll. I mean, they literally just had a movie about him this year that won awards this last Tuesday. It was a great movie. I went and watched it. I loved Elvis so much. I mean, from the time I can remember, I don't remember ever not liking Elvis. The time from uh, birth, I guess. I can remember being a four- and five-year-old loving to hear Elvis come on the radio. Loved him. And we, I, I've been to Graceland twice. You're like, okay, that's a whole other level. You know, like some people, they they love, um, oh, I'm trying to think of the, not Matchbox, but the, uh, no, no, no. I, oh, who, It's irrelevant. Some people, they'll go to concert after concert of the same artist because they're captivated by that artist. So mine was Elvis Presley. And I was seven years old, and I convinced my parents because we were going down to Shreveport, Louisiana, to visit my grandma. She lived in Shreveport, Louisiana, and you have to go through Tennessee. And I knew at seven years old, Elvis lived in Memphis, Tennessee. So I said, we got to go to Graceland. Now, he, had, he had, had passed a few years earlier, just three or four years be- before that, 1978, I believe. And so they say yes, and we, we, we go through there, and we, we... Dad buys this book. It's an Elvis, this is, you know, 1980s was pre-internet days. Someone was probably thinking of it, but no one had ever heard of it. So if you wanted to learn a song, you had to go buy sheet music. You had to go buy a record, put it on a record player, or, or, or put it in a, you know, a cassette tape or an 8-track. And you had to play this thing, and you had to mimic it. You're learning it because, you, you're, you know, you're fascinated. But I was fascinated by Elvis, and my dad bought an Elvis Presley music book with all his songs. It was orange. About this thick, and I remember the first song I learned. I turned to it, and this is how I learned to play guitar. I, I seen the tab, I seen the G- chord. It was "Suspicious Minds by Elvis Presley. Does anyone know that one? Few of us were caught in a trap. Mm-mm, mm-mm. I can't walk out. You know what? Because I love you too much, baby. And then there would be this background Ooh, and then these horns, ba Why can't you see what you're doing to me when you don't believe a word? This is the first song I learned, but I loved Elvis, and I would—I like, learned how to play guitar. I'm shaping the chords because you need somebody. This is my point. My fascination with Elvis fueled my discipline as a musician. My fascination with Elvis fueled me wanting to be a front man. Shake your hips like Elvis. Play the guitar like Elvis. Comb your hair like Elvis. Look like Elvis. Everything Elvis because of a fascination. They had a, it, I guess the best way to describe it is a karaoke recording booth at Graceland. So I convinced mom and dad, because I had no money, I was seven. (laughs) I want to record an Elvis song. So they put you in this little tiny, about a little bit bigger than a telephone booth, which you probably don't know what that is either. (laughs) Smaller in an elevator. And uh, so we're in this little recording booth. You put the headphones on. They give you one run through the song, and then you get to record it. And I recorded Jailhouse Rock. Oh, yeah, it was one of his best. So we visit Memphis, we drive to Shreveport, Louisiana, and the greatest thing that could ever happen to a seven-year-old, my grandma owned a bar, the Forest Inn was the name of the bar, and because it was in Ringle, Louisiana, which is outside of Shreveport, a little tiny place, Do you know that place? You do? They used to live there. Um, Little place, Shreveport, Louisiana, or Ringo, Louisiana. Grandma's bar was the happening place on the weekend, so I play my tape of Jailhouse Rock for Grandma, and and Grandma says, Mike, do you want to come in my bar and sing Jailhouse Rock with the band Friday night? Yes, thank you very much. Thank you. Yes. Yes, Grandma. I'll sing that for you. Two sets, and we get her, boom, down. the drummer missed the snare. Seven years old, I'm telling the band how to do it. This is how you know you were called. I'm like, you got to hit the snare, plop, plop, boom, 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 boom. And I was moving like Elvis, dancing like Elvis, looking like Elvis. The people are dancing on dance floor, and I was hooked. But my fascination was fueling it. Followers of Jesus. This is a man, right? Elvis was just a man. Jesus is more than a man. He is God. And if you're bored with your Bible and you're bored with church and you're bored with Christian, I would submit you don't really worship him because it's not fueling you true discipleship starts with encountering him and this somehow feels like, I love reading God's word and, and it's because I hear him in the midst of it. But if you read it as a discipline without first being fascinated with him and, and delighting in him, because you're more loved by Jesus than you'll ever know. So let's move from being a believer Who's like, oh yeah, good man, he taught us how to love. That, you know, that's the greatest commandment, love, love. But it starts there. We, we as humans, we want to emulate the things that fascinate us. And we have everything is competing for our attention. Media, entertainment. I mean, all of it. But when we worship him, you'll become like the one you worship. The same way. I wanted to move like Elvis, dance, sound, play, whatever. We emulate what we're fascinated by. Just ask the Lord to show you a picture how much He loves you. It'll start fascinating you. Discipleship's not a program we follow. That's why I want to drive this into us. Like it's not a program. That's so Western. It's so Greek. It it is so philosophy, like put us in a classroom and teach us things. It's important, but it is not it. It's him. It's following him is discipleship, and it starts with being fascinated with him. Let's keep reading. Then Jesus came to them, so they worshiped him. They fall down, they worship him. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. You guys are worshiping me. Now take this thing you've seen, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the miracles, the things I've taught you. Go and make other interns. Go and make other apprentices. Baptizing them. That's, that's coming into a community. Um, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now what's Jesus' greatest command? Love the Lord your God with all your horrors. So everything he commands us is out of that. So anything that he's commanding us. And he said, so one, they're worshiping him. They're fascinated with him. This guy just rose from the dead. He's really God. What does this mean? And he says, here's what this means. You're going to form a community. You're going to baptize people into the community. We talked about that last week. Community strengthens our faith. And he says, and I want you to teach them. We must be growing in faith. Which you know I won't have time to talk about that today But it's the obedience part I want to touch on Followers of Jesus Are willing to live God's way That's number two Following Jesus Is a willingness to live God's way And the reason why we must start with worshipping him Because if you start here It feels like God's a taskmaster And No one's fascinated with a taskmaster. We're fascinated with people who love us. We we worship a God who really cares, who really knows. That fuels our obedience. God doesn't ask us to obey, to prepare us to go to heaven. He's not asking us to follow God's way so that we can get his approval, it's because he wants to know you. It's about shaping us into his image, which we read last week in 1 Corinthians 2. He shapes us into his image so that we can have companionship with him. This, This is how it works. We're fascinated. He speaks to us. And when we're talking about obedience and teaching him to obey everything I command you, this is not just sin stuff. We can tend to think that it's everything it's revealing lies and giving you truth that sets you free it could be a sacrifice that he's asking you to make it could be a next step in your faith that you know he's calling you to it could be maybe you know next week we have water baptism and maybe that's your next step and this is what it means to be willing and i would just say this by the way if you've never if you're a follower of jesus and you've never been water baptized i know that's your next step this is not a suggestion This is what all Christians do as we enter a community of believers. We get baptized. It's not a salvation thing. Like my wedding ring doesn't make me married. It's just a statement of of my marriage. And the water baptism is not a salvation thing, but it's a statement of your faith. We walk into, you know, water baptisms is actually a thing that several times throughout my faith journey was a next step the Lord kept revealing to me. At 10 years old, when I gave my heart to the Lord, I don't know how I knew this. No one told me. Your next thing is being water baptized, but the church was having a baptism service. I told mom and dad, I believe it to be the Holy Spirit. I had a desire to be baptized. Why? Because I was fascinated with Jesus. And if Jesus gets baptized at 30, then maybe I should. So I get baptized at 10. And then life Goes on, I end up getting out of school, I get married, and then the end of, as my marriage is falling apart, we, we step into Radiant Church, Kalamazoo, Michigan, 1996, Labor Day weekend. You never forget the big moments with Jesus, because my marriage was failing and I was hurting, and I heard the Lord say to me, go back to church, get Christian counseling, I walk in, and God started using that church to heal us. And I remember, it was a set up and tear down at the Gold Lake High School, and the mascot of Gull Lake High School was the devil's, the blue devil. And the cafeteria we was meeting in was called the devil's den. So I rededicated my heart to the Lord literally in the devil's den. <laughs> and God began to change our marriage, and I felt I need to get baptized. So, and by the way, I have no theology for this, more than one baptism. I don't, if you're asking, I don't know. But when people say, I was baptized when I was, you know, I was as an infant, or, and should I do it again? I just say, if you even think it, yes, it's a yes. Or if you've never done it, it's a yes. These are some things I just know automatically that are going to help you. And I've learned that those who go into water baptism seem, not always, but to me, seem to actually keep living out their faith in significant ways. Because it's our first step of obedience. Jesus did it before he even went goes into ministry. His first step of obedience to the Father was baptism. He was baptized by John the Baptist. Then, so then God here's my marriage. We go into ministry full time. I don't remember how many years, but you know, eight or nine years into ministry, I kind of have this breakdown in my life, and I'm depressed and taking antidepressants. And I discover at this trip on, in Texas how deeply loved I am by God, and I become refascinated with Jesus again. And I don't know why, but I felt like I should get water baptized. So a third time, 10 years old, early 20s, and then at 35 years old, last time I got water baptized, was 35 years old, I go into the waters of baptism. Why? Because I felt him leading me that. And if you're a follower of Jesus, he's going to lead you. Some of us, it's not a next step thing. It's a sin thing. I remember after giving my life to the Lord at 10 years old, there was a three-year window between 15 and 18. I lived very ungodly. I lived sexually immoral, sexually impure. And I uh, came to this place after a, a massive hangover, and I'm praying to the Lord in the bathroom. I'm literally laying my head up against the porcelain toilet just to cool down from this hangover. And I just just had this thought that I know now was the Holy Spirit said, this is not the way I want to live. And I give my heart to the Lord there. And I didn't know how. But I said, Lord, I don't know how to stop drinking. I don't know how to stop partying. I don't know how to stop sleeping around. But But I give you my life. There was a willingness there. This is a mark of discipleship. Sometimes a willingness is, this is what we just read, his followers deny themselves. Sometimes it's an identity thing. This is a big thing in our culture right now. Finding out who you are, doing some soul searching and determining and creating and crafting our own identity and our own image. And we're building identities that's coming from ourselves, And it's actually destructive and destroying lives. And we're getting angry. And God is saying, that's not who I called you to be. And he says, if you're willing, I'm calling you to be this. And it transforms your life. Don't get your identity from yourself. Let Jesus tell you who you are. Because it'll bless you. If you're willing to obey, blessing always follows obedience. Never once in my Christian walk have I regretted obeying the Lord. Never. Maybe one time. but I don't have time to tell that story. No, no, I will not It's not actually a regret. It's like a funny thing in my head. I'll tell you. (laughs) It's just wrong to say it not say it, right? You're like, oh, no, you got to say it now. You're going to think it's silly. I bought, don't judge me, but I bought uh, back in the early 90s, I bought an SKS, uh, which was a, it's like a rifle, old Russian rifle from like pre-World War II thing. And, uh. But I was like, what do I need this thing for? I, 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 so my father-in-law, he just has a, he loves guns. He's a big hunter. He loves muzzle orders. It's like his big thing. You know, it's where your poor black, like old school 1700 style. And, and uh, he fought in, in world, and in Vietnam. And he had said to me just one day in passing, he's like, hey, uh, that gun looks a lot like the gun I had in Vietnam. It wasn't, but it looked like it. And he said, one day I want to get one of those. on, or to do it. And I heard the Lord say, give it to him. Like, I just bought this thing, Lord. But I felt convicted. So I give it to him. And I don't regret giving it to him. Then, (laughs) do you know this story? You're laughing? No? You don't know? Okay. So then, this year, he's never shot it once. This was like 20 some years ago. Like 25 plus years ago. He's never shot it. And I'm like, I'm going to ask my father-in-law for that gun back. When I bought it, I paid 99 bucks. It's like a $700 gun now. Um, so the week I'm going to ask him, he gives the gun to one of my children. i like, all right, Lord. You really don't want me to be playing with firearms, apparently. That's what I meant by one regret. It just hit my head. Uh, in seriousness, though, I've never regretted a sacrifice he's asked me to make. I've never regretted giving up a, a bad attitude or having a conversation I needed to have. I've never regretted following through. I never regretted fighting for my marriage. Because when he told me to go back to church, get in church, go get Christian counseling for your marriage, I didn't want to do it, but I was willing to obey. And this year, because I said yes and I was willing to obey, we will be celebrating 30 years of marriage. This is why, yes. This is why we must be fascinated with him because it'll fuel and you won't regret it. I'm not saying it's easy because it's not. Fighting from a marriage was hard for me to do, uh, for us to do. We had to overcome some issues and some things, but I've never regretted it. You know, God commands us to obey, isn't because he's disgusted with our shortcomings. It's because he loves us. He wants us to imitate him. And then it brings pleasure in knowing him. It fuels it. Last thought is this. This is where I'll land it. And I got to land it. Surely I am with you always. Always. To the end of the age. And what Jesus is saying, if he keeps tarrying and the end hasn't come, as long as there are followers who will follow them, he will be with you. How? The Holy Spirit. Number three, the Holy Spirit enables your faith. You have the power of the Holy Spirit within you to live out your faith. Marks of discipleship is one, we worship him and it Fuels everything else. It fuels our disciplines. It fuels our obedience. It fuels our sacrifice because we're fascinated with him. We love him. We delight in him. We enjoy his presence. We enjoy that he loves us. And because he loves us, I'm willing to follow him. And I don't have to do it in my strength. So I said that prayer at 18 years old after a hangover, not knowing how I told the Lord, I can't do it. And he instantly took away the appetite to be partying and to be living wildly. Sexual immorality, the Lord healed me of this. And in the, that one prayer, I was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Same thing for my marriage. I was Me and Jenna had separated. I was living by myself. I said a prayer like, Lord, I don't know how I ended up here, but I, I need you to heal my life. And he says, go back to church and get... Christian counseling, and there wasn't the church. It wasn't the Christian counseling. It was the empowerment of the Holy Spirit behind those things. This is Mark's, this is why you want to follow Jesus. It's not so your life gets better, although you'll probably make better choices because the Holy Spirit will lead you. It's about empowering your faith. You're not going to ever regret that. right. That's so good. Please God. That takes precedent over pleasing people. We'll use that as a closing statement. She said if you feel that tug in your heart, it's the Holy Spirit. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes because following Jesus the first thing is saying yes to Him. And if you're here, you feel that tug in your heart, I'm here to tell you that's the voice of the Holy Spirit already. If you came to church because you've been thinking about God lately, it's because he's been pursuing you. It always takes place in our mind. It could be a picture. It could be a feeling. It could be a a, a word or a phrase. You just thought a thought that says go to church. And you're like, why am I in church? I don't even know why I'm here. And you're hearing this. Well, the Holy Spirit's already been pursuing you. So if you're here and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, I'm going to give you an opportunity to become a Christ follower today. Don't worry about the do's and don'ts. Don't approach it from pleasing God because He's already takes pleasure in you. Approach it from being fascinated by how much He loves you. He will fuel the rest for you. But you must give your life to Him. Take up your cross. Follow Him. Deny yourself. Follow Him. Or maybe you're here and you're like me and at 18 years old, feeling a, a, that I need to re-engage with my faith and that's you, like I need to come back to the Lord. I want to pray for you if either one of those are you. One, I'm gonna count to three when I say three, lift your hand. One, your heart's probably pounding. That is that's the pounding that, that our sister was just telling us about in your chest. Two, don't let this moment pass you by. This is your day. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Three, quickly lift up your hands. Say, that's me, Pastor. I need to give my heart to the Lord. Thank you. They're all over the place. Keep them up for just a moment. Thank you. Thank you. I see these hands. Thank you. Many hands. We're going to say a prayer together. And as we pray, the Holy Spirit, as we're praying, I believe is going to start empowering your faith, empowering you to follow Jesus. So, what I want to do is, I want us to say this together out loud, all of us, whether you lifted your hand or you didn't, let's just do it as a community. Say, Jesus, today I decide to follow you, to deny myself, take up my cross, and become your disciple. Holy Spirit, Empower me to live out my faith. I repent of my sin, and I ask you to forgive me. Now today I believe that I'm a new creature in Christ. In Jesus' name.